I have to say that. So when he's out of town, it's like, it never works, the technology. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. My guest today is Dr. Kelly Casperson. She's the author of the fabulous book, You Are Not Broken, Stop Shooting All Over Your Sex Life. As often happens with Chef AJ Live, most of the guests are referred by satisfied customers, previous guests, and Dr. Rachel Rubin, who's been on the show many times and has been on Dr. Casperson's podcast as well, referred Dr. Casperson. Well, it was really interesting because I always read the book of the guest that is on the show, but she was booked like six months ago. And I'm like, well, if I read it now, I'm not going to remember anything in, you know, in August when it happens. So I figured, well, I better get to know her a little bit. So I decided I'll just listen to one episode of her podcast. It was so good. I ended up listening to every single episode. It's amazing. You guys have to check it out. The link is below in the show notes. I'll also put it in the chat. And I will say of all the I have 1700 shows, she has the best hair of any guest we've ever had on. Please welcome Dr. Kelly Casperson. It's so nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, I feel having listened to like, I think, what is it, 300 or 220 podcasts? Uh, 226 this yeah. week. Right. So I, I, that, I think 226 is the, I, I feel like I already know you. I just love your style. I love your work. And it's interesting. And I, I'm, this is the interesting part. It's not that I'm not interested in what you do. It's like, it's not, I'm not even all that interested in it, but you make it so interesting. The topic I am interested, but I'm not as interested as I am say, I don't know, some of the other things, but you're, you're so fun to listen to and you make it so interesting and fun that, that that's, I just listen to all of them. Like when I'm on the spin bike or walking or in the car. So congratulations on having such a fabulous podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was a it was a voice in my head three and a half years ago, and it was like New Year's resolution. I'm like, just do it. Recorded my first one. Yeah, I, I love it. It's I wish you every success. And you know, your book too. It's it's just it's great because this is a topic that except for like Dr. You and Dr. Rubin, it's not like people are talking about. It. And even when you go to your doctor, they're not talking about it. And it seems like there's such a disparity in sexual health and female health in the way that women and men are treated. Huge, huge disparity. And I think that's, you know, mine and, and Rachel's superpower is that we're, unlike gynecologists who only treat the women, I see how we treat the men. And so I get that disparity every single day in my clinic. And it's it finally just became like a raging equality issue for me is like, why are we caring so much more about one gender when in fact they 90% of them want to sleep with the other gender that everybody's neglecting? We've got to help everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got to tell you, so many people went on, um, you know, hormones after Dr. Rubin was on this show because there's so much misinformation about they're dangerous and well, I've had cancer and she's she's made it so that like everybody, not everybody, but so many viewers just said, you know, I went on it now. I trust this information, you know, because when she skewed it, not skewed it, but when she explained that it's not just so that you can have more sex or better sex, but when we got into the whole discussion about, you know, uh, urinary tract infection, and, and how it helps you not get them people because people are like I get so many UTIs and, and that just made people like, wow, you mean I can take this product that's relatively inexpensive and not only possibly improve my sex life if I want to, but not have these chronic urinary tract infections. 
Yeah, it's it's really huge. You know, urinary tract infections are one of the top 10 things that people go to doctors for. So this is a very big problem. And just taking antibiotics makes you more susceptible to another UTI. So I, I say women get in this like pit of despair, right? And they just need to get out of this pit of despair. And vaginal estrogen is absolutely part of that plan. I ask them, I'm like, would you like something that decreases UTIs by 60%? And they're like, yeah, it's like, it's sold. Plus, besides the fact that it helps overactive bladder, right? How much urgency, frequency, getting up at night to pee, a little bit of bladder leakage, it takes the edge off of all of that too, because the bladder loves estrogen. It's so, I mean, that information that you guys provide, you know, freely, I'm Dr. Rubin on Twitter, you on your podcast has helped so many people. And the other great thing that that we learned from Dr. Rubin, and you probably I'm sure know about too, is a lot of women didn't like it because it was mushy and messy. People didn't like the cream. But then when she talked about the injectable little, I mean, when it's not injectable, like, you know, an injection, it's just like a little, you know. Yeah, just a little tab. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, there's a ring too. I was, that's, that's your plug and play. You can keep it in for three months at a time. It tends to be a little bit more expensive because there isn't a generic. I like the cream for sexually active people because we can treat the vulva, lots of the structures on the outside that might not get the benefit of it if you're just using a tab on the inside. So things to think about, but they're both really cheap. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A couple of people sent in questions in advance and it's, and, and, and again, even when people send in questions. I don't read their whole name. I read their first name. It, it could be Kelly, you know, and there could be a million Kellys, but you know, I find it so interesting that uh, they're allowed to say anonymous if they don't want their name said with this topic, everybody's sent them in anonymously. It's like, there seems to be so much like shame around talking about your genitals or your, your bladder. It, it's, it's crazy. Well, it's crazy, but I mean, think about it. We're not even allowed to say these body parts on Instagram right? Like female body parts are not allowed to be said. It's absolutely insane. Really? Like, even, even a medical doctor can't say them? No, I, I've had people get kicked off of Instagram for saying medically accurate words and, you know, doing sex education. And I understand, like, we need to protect people. We, you know, there are, there's a shady side of sexual health, certainly, but by and large, if we don't know the body parts, how many people come to my clinic and they say down there, right? Like what's down there? <laughs> your feet are down there, right? Like if you can't even communicate your problem to your doctor, we've got issues, you know, we've got to know what to call these body parts so we can communicate well. Yeah. Well, I think that's just the way a lot of people were raised, you know? Yeah, totally. And, you know, the change, the change starts now. I've got young daughters, you know, all the people in, in my scene, they're like, it's a vulva, it's a vulva. But it's like, we got to teach kids body parts. I think part of that is helping it relate. Like, if you can't even name it, of course, there's shame, because you're told you can't even say the word, right? So it's really part of undoing the shame around our bodies is giving it its proper name. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the the genital, the, the GS, the, that Something, something, yeah. pause. the genital. GSM. GSM. GSM is, it's, so it's a rebranding. It's about 10 years old now, but it's a rebranding from vulvovaginal atrophy. There was one urologist in that room when they actually sat down. They're like, what are we going to call this? Because we don't like the word atrophy and it doesn't explain what it is or why it happens, right? So genital urinary syndrome of menopause says, hey, this is, happens around menopause time, can happen after, can happen before in perimenopause, and it's genital and it's urinary. So that encompasses the overactive bladder, the recurrent UTI, and then the genital is itching, burning, pain with sex, dryness, all of that stuff that goes along with it. Now, 
before vulvovaginal atrophy, it was actually worse. It was called senile vagina. That's pleasant. That's, um, yeah. So vulvovaginal atrophy was an improvement from that. I was looking at some very old uh, research articles because I was digging up this whole use it or lose it myth that, you know, women get told all the time. And so I wanted to go into, is there science on the use it or lose it myth? And it took me back to a paper from the 80s when they were talking about senile vaginas. And I'm like, at least we don't call it senile vagina anymore. But they so GSM it, is the current. They don't call it senile penis, do they? No. <laughs> senile penile. Yeah, exactly. So GSM is a, a much greater improvement. Not everybody likes GSM because you can get similar issues with any sort of low hormone state, whether it's, you know, breast cancer treatment, breastfeeding, oral birth control pills, all of those things can also cause that dryness, irritation, sensitivity, recurrent UTI issues. So even GSM doesn't explain all the areas that you can get these symptoms from. Yeah. That's crazy. And guys, if you have questions for Dr. Kasperson, please put four question marks and then put it in the chat. I'll get to one of the questions that uh, one of the viewers sent in anonymously, and she actually read your book, which is great. It's a great book, guys. The link is right below in the chat in the show notes. And uh, the viewer says, I read your book and loved it. I started the vaginal estradiol and it revived my sex life. Thank you. I went to a health retreat recently and a MD from NOLA, I guess that's New Orleans, named Mary Mig Mignan Mary said that I probably need to take testosterone and maybe progesterone too. She said the hormones need to be balanced. Do I need to test for that? What's your opinion? I'm a cancer survivor. And we get a lot of people that say they're afraid to take any kind of estrogen because they're a cancer survivor. Yeah. Um, all very good questions. So the first thing to clarify is that Volvo vaginal estrogen, the creams, the rings, the tabs that we've been talking about is localized hormones. That's not going in your body. If you drew your blood level, it would still be zero if you're postmenopause, right? So the other thing to know is postmenopause, all your levels are zero or very, very low. So there is no balance or it's perfectly balanced because it's all zero. Right. Like I think balance is tends to be a marketing term and it's there, there's really no balance. You're either postmenopause where it's all low or you're premenopause and you're cycling and hormones are up and down, up and down, up and down. So this myth of like a perfect level for everything is, I think, a marketing term. So do you I think what the question is asking is, do I need to be on systemic testosterone, progesterone, estrogen? No, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to do anything that anybody tells you to do. Um, it's an individualized decision based upon your risks, your health, what your goals are. So I'm very pro-hormone, but all the pro-hormone experts aren't here saying everybody needs to get on this stuff because we don't think that either, right? Um, as far as cancer survivor, most types of cancer, not a problem, go on hormones. If you're specifically talking about a breast cancer or a uterine cancer, you really need to start seeing a specialist as far as getting on systemic hormones and the risk of recurrence. Um, Estrogen Matters is a great book by Avram Blooming. I interviewed him on my podcast within the last month uh, to check it out. There is good data showing breast cancer survivors taking systemic estrogen and not increasing recurrence but I would not say that is standard of care at this time. So if you are breast cancer survivor considering systemic hormones, 
There are absolutely advocates that are doing that. There are many, many women who are doing that, but I wouldn't say that that's standard of care in the present day. We still need a lot more research looking at the risks and benefits and safety of that. Mm, thank you. That's very helpful. This next question, I'm not, I mean, this is about, I'm not, you're, you're, you're a urologist, board certified urologist, correct? Uh-huh. Not a gynecologist. Not a gynecologist. So, so, but you might know it. And if not, we can have it ask Dr. Rubin or someone when they're on. And the anonymous question is about uterine fibroids that don't hurt, no symptoms. The, the asker is 55 and they want her to get a hysterectomy, but she doesn't. She's very active and has a special needs child. Can she just leave them in? One is 10, uh, 10 centimeters. I'm plant-based. The doctor said I was a picture of health other than the thyroids. Yeah. So I'm not a gynecologist. Gynecologists are the ones who tend to deal with fibroids. They do hysterectomies. My understanding is if it's not bothering you, you don't have to do anything. Fibroids are benign, benign growths of the, of the uterus. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I used to work at a place, a medical facility called the True North Health Center in Santa Rosa, and they have, they supervise with MDs water fasts. And a lot of people have completely shrunk their fibroids with, with short water fasts in case the individual is interested in that. So I'm actually going there for the first time to water fast. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and I'll let you know, hey, you know, so there's only one, little, I listened to all the episodes. There was one little piece of information. And it's not that I disagreed with you, but I think my viewers maybe are a little bit different because most of us have been plant-based for a very long time, but you mm-hmm. said something like it, it could be hard for people to get 25 grams of fiber per day. Well, mm-hmm. my husband and I, when we heard that, we tracked that we get about 30 grams per meal. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I think for a lot of people, it's like, it's like drinking enough water, right? I see this a lot in my kidney stone people, like they're supposed to drink a lot of water. Like you can't accidentally eat that much or drink that much water. And I think for a lot of people, they have to track their fiber because they don't realize how little they're eating until they track it. But for you, that's, you probably could accidentally eat that much fiber. Yeah. I just will. Cause it makes it mainly all I'm eating this. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Do you, you've had so many episodes now, just like I've had 1700 when people say, who's your favorite guest? I mean, I don't like to really necessarily say that, but you know, a few episodes stand out. Like for instance, yesterday I interviewed a lady that's 102. You don't get to do that very often. She's a medical doctor. And it's funny because you were talking about the language has to change. She said, she doesn't like it that they say deliver babies. She says, we don't deliver babies. We birth babies. We deliver pizza. We don't deliver babies. And so, <laughs> so have you had a guest that stand? Cause a lot of yours, I, I do have guests or interviews. Is there one that stands out that if people don't want to watch all 226 episodes, which one would you tell them, you got to hear this one, guys. Uh, I love Rachel Rubin because she just tells it like it is. She's one of my, a good friend. So she's great. Um, man, I mean, there's so many. I've, off the top of my head, my recent ones, Avram Blooming, who is a breast oncologist who now fights for breast cancer survivors to, to counsel on getting on hormones. Just very powerful science-based. That's a good one. Um Man, I don't know. I, I love all of them. They're like all my little babies. It's like my little garden, right? Like yeah. the one that stands out the most is the one with the, the guy that invents the sex toys. I, you know, like that one is like, it blew my mind only because you guys just talked about it. Like, you know, oh, you know, this water bottles, like it just because people get their panties in a bunch, you know, when yeah. 
you talk about sex and you can just, you know, having a salad, talking about it, just like no big deal. It was kind of cool. I know it's so good. Yeah, there's two. So there's one guy who's the CEO of a sex toy company, Mystery Vibe. That's an awesome episode because it's really talking about like the science of like nerves and vibration therapy and like just you just get super sciencey about it. Right. And how vibration therapy blocks pain. Right. And what's the, so he's actually developing now a vibrate vibrator, vibrating patch for the lower abdomen for menstrual cramps. That's pretty cool. Hey, so you cool. Know, oh my God. I wonder if you know about this as a urologist. Um, have you ever seen this? The inventor from Israel was on my show, the Zeta control sock. Uh-uh. Oh my God. So I used to have, or maybe I still do overactive bladder and, you know, it's the coolest thing I got to tell you. So I used to go to the urologist office for PTNS treatments, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're great and they're not Mm -hmm. hurt. Um, Mm -hmm. Insurance paid for quite a bit of it, but Mm -hmm. going to the doctor every, well, first you go every week for 12 weeks and then every month, you know, my doctor is like, good luck finding a parking space, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he he has this sock and I think Medicare pays for it, not all insurance, but even when you think about over time, so you basically wear this sock. And then you attach, it's, it's like amazing. Let me tell you, I, I, I mean, I've had- no- Have you done it? Does it work? Oh my God. Well, it works for me, which means I can't promise it works for everybody, but it's amazing. So you basically just put this sock on your right foot and you attach this little thing to it. And then you give yourself the PTNS at home for 30 minutes. Amazing. You got you to gotta check this guy out. I can introduce you. I, I had the inventor, an Israeli guy on my show. Um, it worked for me. And I saved so much time because, you know, that hour, that I, you know, I, I'm saving 90 minutes and I'm also yep. saving copay. It's totally fabulous. So anyway. That's awesome. Yeah, send me that. I'll send you my hair stuff. You send me that. Oh, exactly. Maybe you even want to have them on the show because this is going to be, uh, you know, maybe somebody that's never had PTNS, they can't compare and they maybe they mm-hmm. want to start out that way. But after a while, it's just, you just get tired of going to the doctor. And yeah, that's the problem eating. with PTNS for sure. Yeah. So it's basically self PTNS. So, so, cause that's when awesome. you said the guy that, that was inventing the thing about the, the menstrual cramps, that, that made me think about it. Cause that's so cool when people can do things at home that are basically affordable and it's they don't really cool. have side effects. I don't know what BV is. Do you, is that a medical bacterial type? vaginosis? Oh, great. So a- a- Adeline says, what's the ba- best way to address it? Yeah. Again, gynecology question. Okay. So guys, <laughs> Dr. Casperson's a urologist. I'm a urologist. Um, but so BV is basically a bacterial overgrowth. Sometimes you can get a biofilm if you have an IUD string, something to think about if you're getting recurrent uh, BV and you have an IUD and think about, you know, getting rid of that to give it a break. You can see more with pH changes um, with taking antibiotics, right? And with um, menopause. So lots of different things as far as that being a bother and what to do about it. But I would see, see your gynecologist for specific, you know, your specific circumstances. Yeah. I, I so appreciate, I mean, you know, I, for years I had to see male urologists and I just, it's so much better. I think when they have the same parts as you, you know, at least for me, I, I appreciate that when I, yeah. so I try to, I try to have all female doctors in general, but especially for down there as you're, <laughs> as they say, now, do you actually see patients in person as well or, or yep. virtually or both? Well, mostly, mostly in person. I only have a license in Washington state. So you have to be, so that's insurance rules, not my rule. You have to be, the patient has to be in the state where the doctor's licensed. 
makes sense. Yeah. So okay. I only see Washington state people. Oh, you never but I mean, know. A lot of what I do, like I do a lot of exams, right. Am I normal down there? Why is this itch? Blah, blah, blah. So that's not all so great with telemedicine. Some things are great for telemedicine. Right, you, can't really... you just need somebody who knows how to do a good physical exam. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Marley is asking, what are your thoughts on testosterone cream for low libido for menopausal women? Love it. Not, a, I'm not afraid of it. I mean, keep in mind, urologists treat men. I give men testosterone all the time at 10 times the dose. Women's dose is one tenth the dose of male dose. So it is, it is cheap. It's, it's, if your low libido is hormone mediated, cause there's lots of reasons for low libido. Remember biopsychosocial sexual health, check out the Ted talk. Cause I talked about biopsychosocial, um, you know, desire and how sex ed is complicated. But if indeed say you're perimenopause, postmenopause, your libido, you're like my relationship's great. Love. I love this human. I just never think about sex. It's just blah. It used to be all there. Might be a, a sign that it's hormone mediated, and testosterone is is very well researched for low libido. Number one, perimenopause, postmenopause. Number two, uh, side effect of antidepressants. Right? There's some science on using testosterone to counteract the side effect of decreased desire on SSRIs. So there's a lot of data on the safety of testosterone. And to step back for one second, because a lot of people don't know this, what we did was we gendered hormones, right? Estrogen is the female hormone. Testosterone is the male hormone. There's an oversimplification and all bodies and all genders need estrogen and testosterone just in different amounts. So in a female, their testosterone tends to be one-tenth the dose of what a male is, but they still have more testosterone in their body than estrogen, which is mind-blowing to most people because they've never heard that before. Wow. You know, I, I since I did your book on Audible, I can't show it. Do you have a copy you might be able to hold up? You are not broken. So pretty. Such a pretty cover. If you yeah. do it on Audible, you get my voice. Yeah, that your voice is a lot of fun. Easy to listen to. You know, you did a tech talk. I'd love to know how that experience was. Why we need adult sex ed. Why do we need adult sex ed? And what was that experience like of doing a TED talk? It was an amazing experience. I basically had a friend like a year before I did it. She, we, I was at a, I gave a lecture at a conference and she's like, when did you do your TED talk? And I'm like, I've never done it. And she's like, well, you need to. And she basically like put it in my head. And so I'm like, okay, she said I needed to do a TED talk. And like, it is rigorous. It's like the Olympics of public speaking to like hone a message, craft it. And then they're like, cut, 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 make it 12 minutes. Right. So just like you get very good at public speaking and the whole memorizing thing is wild. Um, so it was a wonderful experience, but I started out the TED talk thinking I was going to talk specifically to female about female sexual health, because I think that's so missing. And then I was like, hold on, nobody got a sex ed that's useful. You know, we got a disease and pregnancy prevention plan if we were lucky before we even adulted, right? And now here we are as adults fully formed and we're broken and miserable and we can't communicate and we're in pain and we're having crappy sex. All these things that I think can really be remedied with basic sex education on anatomy, communication, how our bodies work, 
you know, how to, it's okay to try and fail. It's okay if you, if you don't look like the Hollywood people portray, cause that's all fake, right? Like just basic education really helps people start being empowered so quickly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I called this episode, the title of your book, and I've already got a thing, a flag from YouTube saying it may not be suitable, you know, just because I think, cause I put the word sex life in it. Oh my God. I know. How are, we supposed, how are we supposed to educate people? People go to social media for their knowledge. And here we are not allowed to talk about, you know, basic just information. So they get it from Hollywood porn, you know, the top 10 country hits, like we're getting an education, but it's pretty crappy. It's just something. Here's a, another question about testosterone. It was, uh, but I'm bummed where to go. How do you know if you need more testosterone? Does every postmenopausal woman need it? Good question. Again, going back earlier, I'm not, I, I love hormones. I'm not here to say everybody needs everything, right? It's really individualized. What are your goals? Um, it's pretty simple. You can draw labs. You can go, go on it for two, two months, check labs again, see if you need more or less. Are, are your symptoms resolving? Um, it's very easy to do. But the problem, remember, we gendered hormones, testosterone's for men, remember? So what that means is we do not have an FDA-approved product for women. Because we do not have an FDA-approved product for women, we then either have to compound or we have to use a male product and dose it down. So now we've kind of added some complexity into the scenario of like, giving testosterone's easy, but we've got some hurdles in this country because of availability issues. Um, Australia is the only country in the world that has a, their FDA approved female testosterone. It's called Androfem. They're already doing trials in the UK and rumor has it that company is going to start doing trials in America, probably around 2025. So it's coming, but I guarantee you, you get an FDA approved female testosterone product. That's one tenth the dose. They're going to put a pink box on it and they're going to jack the price up. Oh boy. But, yeah, this- but maybe, maybe I'm cynical because I've been doing this for too long. But my whole point is like, just because it's FDA approved and insurance pays for it, it's probably going to be a very expensive brand name product. But God bless them for doing the studies and the trials that it takes because we really need to normalize all hormones, all bodies, all genders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a fun question about your book and I'm putting the link um, every so often in the chat and in the show notes. Can you explain the meaning behind the tub, the title and the subtitle of the book? Yeah, totally. So the podcast is called You Are Not Broken. And the reason that podcast title came is because the more I started to learn and the more women that came into my office complaining of their you know issues, I would just say over and over like, well, you're not broken. of women have never had an orgasm. Well, you're not broken. Only 30% of women can have an orgasm with, you know, penis and vagina sex. Well, you're not broken. Nobody has estrogen in their vagina after menopause unless we give it to you, right? It just kept like, it was this, again, this basic education that people don't have. And when they have it, you realize you're not this unique, broken individual. It's like, no, no, this is common stuff. We just don't talk about it. We just didn't get an education. So like, you know, on my 100th time of saying you're not broken, I was like, oh, that's the name of the podcast, clearly. Um, 
And it's funny how people want to argue with me about their brokenness, right? Like it gets to a very spiritual place very quickly of like, yeah, but I'm broken. And they want to fight for their brokenness. And I'm like, why would you choose to do that? Why don't you? We want to think we're not broken and we're whole and we're good as we are and love that. So I just, I love where it takes people. And then the shoulding is like, I should have sex. Tell me, just tell me how many times a week I should have sex. Just tell me exactly what I need to do to have an orgasm. Just tell me what I exactly what I need to do to have desire. It's all these like shoulds that we, and I think we get that again, because we're kind of like assuming I should have spontaneous desire all the time. Sex should be easy. Uh, you know, erection should happen all the time. All these shoulds, again, because of lack of education. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this next question, I know you can answer because I asked it for you before we turned on and Renee wants to know what product you use. What product do I put in my hair? Um, I think it's called Hair Story is the brand, but uh, don't quote me on it. So I use a dry shampoo just to kind of get it because I look like a fluffy duck, like Boris, Boris Johnson, like fluffy duck. And uh, so you got to get the fluffy duck out of it with the dry shampoo, and then you put wax in it to make it spiky. It's awesome. Thank maybe, you. And maybe take a picture and show me exactly. And I can share that. Yeah. yeah I'll send it to you. They know her. It, Just it, two it, products. That's all you need. Nice. And Renee yep. says, do you, does, does a person need a prescription for testosterone cream? Yes. So testosterone is a hormone. It's actually a very regulated drug because um, anabolic steroids, you, can you be a drug of abuse? So you actually need a physician or a healthcare provider that has a DEA license because it, it is regulated like a narcotic or a pain med is regulated, much more regulated than estrogen. So yes, you need a prescription, um, but it's it's easy to do. If you go on my Instagram and in my Instagram uh, link tree, there is a testosterone prescribing guideline paper for women with low desire. You can print it out, bring it into your physicians to, because not everybody's you know, comfortable. Again, we all got taught in med school, testosterone was the male hormone, right? Like we have to do some unlearning before we can start realizing all bodies need all hormones. Fantastic. Thank you. Jesse says, Dr. Kasperson, do you think that diet can have a beneficial effect on UTIs? And if so, what specific diet and how does it help? Yeah. So I can't give you studies and data on this. I can't, I can't pull up a paper that says this is the anti-UTI diet, but in my practice, I see very inflamed bladders. You know, I can, so I'm a urologist. I'll look in bladders with cameras. I see very inflamed bladders and their surface is like, you know, more raw and irritated. And I think it's just a lot more prone to getting UTIs. Of course, vaginal estrogen, on, on all the perimenopause, postmenopause people, we need that microbiome to be healthy. And vaginal estrogen is the medication for a good, healthy microbiome in the pelvis and bladder. But I tell women, I tell women, go anti-inflammatory. And they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, go see Chef AJ. But what I mean is processed foods, you know, the fake processed sugar, anything that's I, like, it's got to come from the earth, anti-inflammatory do it for three months and come back and see me. So I don't tell people what to eat. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not an expert, but I'm like, if it came from the earth, start there. Um, and they come back and they're like, my arthritis is better. My skin's better. And my bladder's better. Yeah. So I think it's an, there's an inflammatory diet that when you cut that out, a lots of things get better. 
Chef Adrian, you can speak to that more than I can. Right. And aren't certain things, though, not beneficial to the bladder, like caffeine and alcohol, for example? Well, I don't I don't think alcohol is good for any part of your body. But um, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, alcohol is horrific. It, and I think the medical sur- medical world has done a disservice to people because they they bought the in moderation tagline from the from the alcohol producers. Uh, Canada just Canada just posted that there's no safe amount of alcohol for women. So good on Canada. And I hear America's revising it, uh, revising their take on it. So it'll be interesting to see where alcohol is going to go. If alcohol is going to become the new cigarette, it just drives such a huge part of our economy. Right. Like there's a lot of skin in the game on the alcohol one. Um, but yeah, caffeine. I live in the Pacific Northwest. I learned very early on in my career not to tell people to stop drinking coffee. <laughs> but can't it be irritating to bladders, yeah. especially people that have things like interstitial cystitis, for example? Yeah. Yeah. And so basically you, you just do some elimination work, you know, cut it out, see what happens. But and then add it back in and see what happens. But I think some spicy foods irritate people. I've, you know, some people are really irritated by like tomatoes, the nightshade family. Some, some people are, their bladders are really sensitive to it. Uh, spicy foods, you know, chili peppers, stuff like that. But I think it, it's, it's individualized. I think the inflammation is a big part of it. And again, there needs to be a lot more research done on this. Yeah. How common is interstitial cystitis and how often do you see it in both men and women? Good question. So interstitial cystitis is a chronic disease that has no diagnosis. I can't draw a lab. I can't do an x-ray, right? It's a a disease of elimination. So I've ruled out cancer. I've ruled out an infection. I tell you, you have interstitial cystitis. Most urologists that I'm friends with think it's way less. It's just like it gets thrown on people. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. So you have interstitial cystitis. Then what happens? You hang on to this chronic incurable disease label that you've been given, right? Like I'll see women, they're like, you know, 40 years ago, I was given this diagnosis of interstitial cystitis. They're still like carrying that around with them. Like you do not have interstitial cystitis. Like a lot of the times it's genital urinary syndrome of menopause because that's what's common. But if that gets missed and doesn't get treated, but you have urgency, frequency, some pain when you pee, dysuria, they'll call it interstitial cystitis. So I usually ask my ladies, I say, do you want me to give you a label of a chronic incurable disease? And they're like, no. And I'm like, let's not do it then. Let's say you have a sensitive bladder. You sound like a great doctor. (laughs) I just, it just just... makes no sense. You know, and like people who come to me for their interstitial cystitis, it's usually pelvic floor dysfunction, low hormones and perimenopause, menopause. Um, you know, there's something else going on. Uh, a lot of people with gut issues, right? Bladders are sensitive to the gut. The gut, I always say, is the bully of the bladder. So it's a gut issue and they just, it makes them pee more. It's very rare that I'll see like that classic IC with nothing else going on. But I think it's it's just thrown, It's that label is just thrown on people and people accept it. They're like, they carry that around with them. Yeah, thank you. Let's see. I saw a question and it went away. So um, what are your thoughts on mind-body connection for interstitial cystitis? Marley wants to know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's only Western medicine that ever separated the mind and the body in the first place. You know, it's completely arbitrary that we separated those those two organs, which are both the body. (laughs) But I think, you know, it's very challenging for people to accept. Like when you cut your finger, 
where do you actually experience the pain, right? You actually experience it in your brain. Your brain's just labeling your finger, right? And in chronic pain, that gets very, very interesting because you get pain pathways set up. So whether it's chronic pain with with intimacy and sex, chronic pain with bladder, right? We kind of get these set up pathways and really we must work on our brain and our mind and how we how we fear the pain, how we challenge the pain, how we don't accept the pain, kind of all those things with chronic pain, people get so much better. There's this amazing book called The Way Out. I don't remember the author right now, but it's in dealing with chronic pain and it works a lot on the brain and it's it's a game changer. I, I've had guys, they've come in with like chronic scrotal testicular pain. They read that book and they're like, my pain's gone. Wow. I'm going to write it down and listen to it and maybe see if it's, I get it's cool. the show. Thank you. Thank I'm you. not sure I answered the question. <laughs> but I talked about the brain and pain. <laughs> well, that's, I think, I mean, if people believe it, I think there's everything has a mind. I mean, cause we, you can't separate the You two. can't separate them. It's fake that we ever separated them. We only separated them because the brain, the neuroscience and brain was way too complicated, you know, to a couple hundred years ago. So they like put the brain in a black box and called that the mind and the rest of the body, completely arbitrary separation. Yeah. Um, here's a question from a viewer. If the doctor does a test for a UTI in the office, but refuses to do a urine culture, is it possible you can still have a UTI? Why wouldn't they do a urine culture? I don't know. I, I'll see if there's a follow-up because some, some doctors just are always right. You know, like, no, you don't have one, I guess. I mean, that's what I'm sensing. Yeah. I mean, dipsticks, so dipstick urine are not wonderfully accurate, but if, you know, if you have nitrite positive and leukocyte esterase positive on your dipstick, you're predictive value of a UTI is quite high, but you're if you're going to treat with antibiotics, you're guessing until you get a culture that confirms you're on the right antibiotic. So I guess that's, I'm explaining now my question of why would you not get a urine culture? That, yeah. Is, is there a preferred uh, antibiotic you would recommend? Because she's saying that her doctor prescribed something called Monural, which um, is a one dose thing, which she likes, but also her insurance doesn't cover it. Is it much better for UTIs than traditional antibiotics? It has a lower resistance profile right now, and it's nice because it's only one dose. It's it's actually a much older antibiotic that's kind of come back with this increasing antibiotic resistance problem. Um, I think the the price can be limiting. It is a standard. I think the three base the three standard for uncomplicated UTI in women are fosfomycin, which is monurol, macrobid, which is nitrofurantoin, and then Bactrim or Septra are like your three kind of like start there, but then culture sensitive, you know, see what else is, see what else is going on. Great. Thank you. Mary wants to know what about urge incontinence in postmenopausal women? And maybe you can explain what urge incontinence is in case people don't know. So two main types of incontinence, stress incontinence, which is your classic cough, sneeze, laugh, trampoline, running. I had a baby. My pelvic floor is weak. That's stress incontinence. Overactive bladder or urge incontinence is frequency, urgency. I can't get to the bathroom on time. I leak just getting my pants off. I just need 30 more seconds. Key in the door, leak. Running water, leak. Any sort of like urge trigger. Um, very common, again, in perimenopause, menopause, because the bladder loves estrogen. And as estrogen goes down, the bladder gets a lot more kind of finicky or urgy or overactive bladder. Vaginal estrogen is equivalent 
in success to overactive bladder medications. Overactive bladder medications are, they've got tons of side effects. They're cheap. They've been around forever, but they've got tons of side effects actually are contraindicated in uh, people over the age of 65 by the beers criteria. Pelvic floor physical therapy is amazing for all types of incontinence. We lose our muscle strength as we age. And we also kind of lose or forget that we're the bosses of the bladder and our certain behaviors can really affect how our bladder behaves. So to me, my go-to vaginal estrogen, pelvic floor physical therapy. Failing that, that sock thing, uh, you know, PTNS, I love Botox for the bladder. It's FDA approved, insurance covers it. You see me twice a year. It's like going to the dentist. It's like 10 minutes of your life. Um, so I love Botox for overactive bladder. And then you can get implantable PTNS things like ecoin, and then Interstim does a sacral neuromodulation. Now I'm just getting up and fancy of what the urologist will do if you fail your first line therapy. And of course, like behavioral therapy, right? If you're drinking a gallon of water at a time and you're not peeing, you're going to be more likely to leak. Um, tons of caffeine, things like that. Why would you drink that much water and not be able to pee? Oh, some people don't pee. I was just talking to a guy and he was bothered by leaking. And I'm like, how many times a day do you sit on the toilet? And he's like, two. Oh, I mean, they don't, they're not taking the time to pee. It's not that they physically cannot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just don't pee. But I mean, in all fairness, do we ever get taught what's normal with peeing? No. But on average, every two to three hours while you're awake is very reasonable. So six to eight times a day is normal. Uh, 15 times a day, not normal. Two times a day, not normal. Interesting. Cause so, because there's a question from a live viewer named Susan, why, why might a woman drink lots of water and not pee much in the day, but pee many times at night? Yeah. Well, either she's not peeing enough during the day and her body just needs to get it out during nighttime, but getting up at night to urinate is actually quite complex. This is fluids. How much water do you drink at night? How well your heart is functioning. If you have swelling of your lower legs, sleep apnea, just being a light sleeper and being woken up more easily, your bladder is going to wake you up more easily. So getting up, there's also some medical conditions of the kidney, like nocturnal polyuria, where you're just producing more urine at night than, than what normal is. So getting up at night to pee is tricky. Um, and it's not always your bladder's fault. Wow. So you think that pelvic floor physical therapy really can help with a lot of the, the urinary things that people are oh, experiencing? Yeah. yeah. Pelvic floor physical therapy, pain with sex, you know, challenges with intimacy, bladder leakage, uh, mild prolapse, all, all the things, pain, tons of, I see tons of pelvic floor pain in people, physical therapy for all of that. These, these women are godsends. They tend to be women. Yeah, because I don't, I don't, I mean, I know, I don't think I'd be comfortable with my male physical. Yeah. And if you go to hermanandwallace.com, that's kind of a national pelvic floor PT training centers. Um, you can type in your zip code and find a, a pelvic floor PT near you. Great. Tell me that website again. I'll put it in the show notes. What's yeah, it called? Herman okay. and Wallace. Herman and Wallace. I learned so many cool things from you and Dr. Rubin, like Ishwish. Ishwish is awesome. Yeah. Nice. How long does a person generally have to go to pelvic floor physical therapy? It varies. I mean, I see some people, they go twice and they're like, oh, that was it. It was easy. I'm good. And then I see some, especially, you know, chronic pain, they're going to, their bodies are going to fall into those old habits, those old tension patterns. They'll have to go every couple, you know, years, maybe just to get a tune up, get that. If you've got scar tissue, get your scar tissue released 
figure out, oh yeah, I got to lengthen these muscles out again. So, you know, I think pelvic floor PT is just like a 10,000 mile tune up is like, sometimes we just got to go. We got to go again. Our bodies, our bodies are creatures of habits, right? Nice. I've had pelvic floor physical therapists on the show several times and they seem amazing with the stuff that they're able to do. They're amazing. Yeah. I love it. Um, one of the viewers says, um, have you heard that chicken bacteria can cause UTI? Dr. Gregor, who's been on the show talks about that. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is some data showing that we know we give so many antibiotics to our meat in this country. So the worry is that the, then the bugs are going to be antibiotic resistant and they're more likely to cross over. Um, so that, that can be a suggestion that people will throw out there is if you're going to eat meat, eat meat that hasn't been treated with antibiotics to try to, you know, not get that the resistant bugs in your house. There's some data on that. Great. Thank you. You still need your vaginal estrogen though. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Donna says I've been using, I don't know what this is, bloom pod for pelvic therapy with my medical insurance for leakage urgency. Is it best to retrain your bladder to be full before going with the goal every two to four hours? Because right now I go every one to two hours. Yeah. The pelvic floor PTs will tell you to kind of lengthen it out. So the goal of just go every hour. Okay. Now try to go every hour and a half. Okay. Now try to go every two. So that, that's, that's what my PTs would try to do is just like slowly, slowly, just lengthen it out if you can. But again, if you're drinking tons of water for, or fluids for whatever reason, you might just be peeing more. What color should our pee be? Uh, your first morning one is going to be concentrated because you didn't pee overnight, right? And your kidneys, because of its circadian rhythms, will concentrate urine overnight so you can sleep. Um, and then light yellow to clear. If it's dark, be a little more hydrated. There's, you're going to see, you're going to see a disagreement in some, you know, some people think we drink way too much water. Some people think we don't drink enough water. To me, I'm like, do you feel well? Are you peeing? Is it pretty clear when you're peeing? You know, and now if you have certain medical conditions, you might be limited or you might be told to drink way more. Um, so again, I often see people, they pee too much just because they think more water is better and they're putting down gallons. And, and I don't think a lot of people need to be doing that. Right. First time I ever ate beets, I thought it was a medical emergency. Nobody tells you that. They don't put it on the beet, you know. Yeah. They don't put it on the beet. Yeah. Warning, you're gonna pee red. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's freaky the first time. We, you know, I, I know. remember and it's like, you know, nobody tells you that. Nobody tells you that. I've got it's some fresh beets up in my fridge. Uh, <laughs> uh, Karen says, is there a connection between having night sweats and the need to urinate? Yes. Low estrogen. Interesting. Also, if you're waking up, right, because you're having night sweats, you might just be peeing more. So interesting. Um, Okay. Oh, uh, Susanna said she had a, she had chronic bladder infections and literally had one session of pelvic floor PT and never had another. How do you like that? Oh, I'm telling you they're miracle workers. Magical. It's magical. They're magic. Um, They're magicians. Yeah. Can you explain how we live through evolution without added hormones, but that we need them now? I'm going to guess because we didn't live past. We didn't live this long. Yeah. I mean, it's very fascinating, right? Like that's a whole nother live interview to get into that of this naturalistic fallacy, right? And if you look at human lifespan, yes, some people live to be 80. Absolutely. Did they live to be 80 
this much ever before? No. And most of us died from infectious diseases and trauma. Now, the good news is we're really good at fighting infectious diseases and trauma now. So most of us are dying of much other things much later in life. And it's really quality of life. Like, I'm not here to tell anybody they need to go on hormones, but your quality of life is likely to be challenged because you're not because things happen when your body has zero hormones. You know, it's funny because I'll have a 58-year-old couple in my office and I point to the man and I'm like, you know, he has more estrogen in his body right now than you do. And that kind of opens up their eyes of like, I have so little estrogen, it's less than what a man has. Men need estrogen to protect their bones, to help with their libido and to help with their erections. And, and I even hate that I have to make the man be the default to get people to listen to this, but we, but here I am, but it's like, yeah, don't be on hormones, but you can't feel osteoporosis. You can't feel heart disease thing. Your body is changing either way. And and I really like the, like, yes, there's risks to taking hormones. Absolutely. Yes. There's risks to not taking hormones. Absolutely. And just, I'm here to educate people. You make your best decision, but I will tell you a secret. I see 80 year olds who've been on hormones and I can, I can pretty much tell who's on hormones and who's not at that lifespan because their quality of life, they're like their fitness, their energy. And they will tell you over my dead body. Will you take these hormones away from me? Wow. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm talking to a, you know, a 52 year old, she's like, I exercise, I eat well, I'm super healthy. I'm like, who do you want to be when you're 72? And they're like, well, my mom has osteoporosis. I'm like, yeah, frailty and hip fracture is a huge problem. You break a hip, your life has changed. Right. And, and so that is the, no hormone expert who's worth their metal is telling any that everybody needs to go on hormones, but you are not properly educated. If you think there's no risks to not being on hormones. Yeah. Well, that's why it's so great having you and Dr. Rubin on the show, because so many people started taking them, you know, because of that, they started being less afraid. Yeah. They're, they're cheap. They're bioidentical. I mean, that's the, that's the, it's so funny, right? Like it's so interesting. America takes more pharmaceuticals than any other country in the world. Like we consume, what is it? 70% of the world's pharmaceuticals. Hormones are actually like something your body naturally made that you lived with for decades. And we're just giving that back to you. Like it's one of the safest medications out there. People take way riskier stuff all the time. I mean, drinking alcohol is riskier and people don't, don't seem to have any problem doing that. Isn't that right? So right. I know I just did a post. I'm like, where's the black box warning on alcohol? I love that you think like that because I'm just not a fan for many, many reasons, having so many people, loved ones, you know, being hit by drunk drivers and just all kinds of things. But, you know, even even before- It's so bad. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. The World Health Organization said no longer can recommend any amount is safe, but yet we, you know, we, you know, reverse control for heart disease. And it's just crazy. But thank you for, you're awesome. That's all I can say is you're awesome. Thank Um, you. Yeah. And Renee says, so, okay, so when you're talking about hormones, which type of doctor do you go to, to get it tested? Do you go to your primary? Do you go to your gynecologist? Yeah, I, I would start with primary or gynecologist. Again, what we did in this country is we t- stopped educating two decades worth of doctors after the Women's Health Initiative came out in 2001. 
go on my podcast to learn more about that. But so really our education needs to catch up with the current data. And I would start with them. You can also go to menopause.org, which is for, formerly was North American Menopause Society, just got rebranded Menopause Society. You can type in your zip code. Um, but there is a role because doctors are not trained, because resources, I mean, how hard is it to get in to see a doctor now, right? Like, ugh, it's it's not fun that there are online companies now that can do hormones for you safely. Interlude is a great one for, they're like strictly vaginal estrogen, great company. Um, Alloy does systemic hormones. These are doctors, but they have licenses, you know, all over the country and they can actually, you just get the, the medication shipped in your mail. Like it's so convenient. It's like modern technology has finally caught up to, like you said, like going to the doctor is difficult. Yeah. You got to park. You don't have to park online. I'm curious if you're allowed to say how many of your patients are female compared to male? Oh, probably 80, 20, 80 female, 80% female. Mm-hmm. Why are there so few female urologists, or at least it seems that way? Yeah. Well, we haven't caught up. We haven't caught up to the idea. Did you know that 50% of pelvises are female? We have just, <laughs> we have just learned this. This is oh. fascinating. You're so funny. You know, if you, if this doctor thing doesn't work out, I see a future in stand-up comedy for you, honestly. In my night, I literally texted somebody yesterday saying, I want my next career to be stand-up. I don't know how to break into that industry. It seems okay. very competitive. Okay. So I've been on the Tonight Show. I do it on the side and I will help you do that. Cause no, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you some. Yeah. I really no, do. No, you don't. Cause that's what I really want to be. This whole thing, this, this chef thing, just, I, I got sidetracked. That's what I've, I've been on Johnny. What Carter. if I got sidetracked? What if I went to, what if I became a surgeon on my way to being a stand-up comedian? Well, I, listen, you, you are, you have such great stage presence and I, you know, I've been on the tonight show. I've been on Letterman. I've been on all kinds of stuff and I somehow, no I deep, way. I, but I'm getting back. I'm going to send you videos, but you are, you're just, you're great. What can I tell you? Oh my so, God. The universe if, is listening. Thank you. If this, if this doctor thing does work out, I'll send you my hair product. Thanks. You have another whole career. You give that. me your agent for Letterman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that, but she actually, I'm so old, Dr. Casperson, that all the agents I had when I lived in LA have died. So, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's fantastic. Too much alcohol in LA. Yeah. Do, so do, you, do you drop an episode every week on a particular day? Cause guys subscribe to the podcast. It's, it's really, I mean, it's just fun to listen to. And like I say, it's not even a topic that I normally would be that interested into, but the way you deliver it, it's just, I just love it. And it's your voice and okay. it's just fun. It's a fun podcast. Is it every week that it comes out? Yeah. It's every week. It's Sunday mornings. So I literally, like I have my forever fans, you know, like the the two that followed me since I started and they're like literally mucking their horses stall on Sunday mornings, listening to me. Like it's the best ever. You've got all kinds of cool things. I mean, I I've put the, in the chat, your, your website and such, but you also like, apparently you have like some kind of a course, a, a sex ed masterclass and a, mem- a sex ed masterclass based upon the Ted talk. Cause the Ted talks 12 minutes. <laughs> it's like, you might want a little more than 12 minutes. So I gave you like an hour, but not too much. You know how many like online courses and they're like, you're going to get the 27 hours and you're like, nobody can sit through that. So to me, I'm like, I made it short. I made it adult. I made it practical. Let's learn how to communicate. Right. Cause usually sex, you want it with another human. So you should probably know how to communicate about it. Yeah. And, and that would be a good way for people to maybe interact with you that don't live in Washington that couldn't see you as a patient. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to interact with me, I have a membership where I actually go live every month. 
so you can get more like coaching questions answered. That would be in the membership. But if you do the membership, it's cheaper than the adult sex ed and the adult sex ed is included. So save yourself some money. That sounds like fun. Like, is it a platform where people, they visually see you and like kind of like Zoom, they can ask questions? We do Zoom. That sounds amazing. Do you, get, do, do you get to hang out with Dr. Rachel Rubin now? But you guys are in totally opposite coasts. Yeah, she's my sister on the East Coast. She lives in D.C. Yeah. I will, yeah. I, I, I will never. <laughs> I don't blame you. I'm just such a fan of you both. And I really, you know, I really, I'm so happy that she introduced us because I'm going to, I'll. Cool. How did you find Rachel? Well, oh my God, that's such a great question. That's weird. Like, how did I find Dr. Rachel Rubin? I, she was referred by another doctor that was on the show. That's how I don't, I, I could look up the name, but that's exactly how. Awesome. Yeah. That's how I get the guests. And people say you should contact this person. I don't need to because my guests are basically my talent scouts. Yeah, totally. Isn't it awesome? That's I mean, how it works for my podcast too. Like I'm interviewing two people this afternoon who were given to me from a different guest that I interviewed. Yeah. I think you might want to, I believe his name is Isaac, the Israeli inventor of the sock, because I think it could change the game for a lot of your patients that just don't want to drive to an office, you know, once a month or once a totally. week. Totally. I know. You're going to have to give me that. I absolutely will. Well, you have to be to- talk- now we have a lot of things to talk about. I know. Well, you guys, you're, you're great. I, what can I tell you? Oh, um, okay. So here's a question. What exactly should I ask my doctor when I say I want to get my hormones tested? So like, what, what do you say? Hey, test my hormones. Yep. Yep. Okay. So that's interesting. We'll, we'll try to make this quick because I got another thing at the hour, but yeah. the true hormone experts will tell you, you do not need to check your hormones. Why? Because if you're post-menopause, your hormones are zero. I don't need a lab test. I'll save you 200 bucks. If you're 58 and you haven't had periods in four years, your hormones are zero. There's no reason to test you to tell you what we already know. Number two, if you're still having periods, let's say you're 43 and you go in and you're like, I'm having some hot flashes, some night sweats, blah, blah. Will you test my hormones? Sure. But what they are on Tuesday is going to be different than what they are next Thursday because perimenopause by definition is a roller coaster coming offline towards zero. So the experts will say in either scenario, hormone testing isn't useful. Now people get all up in arms. They're like, my doctor's not listening and they won't test my hormones. It's like, cause there is not a test that's useful. Now, we can, we can get a little more into that and say, but if I'm going to start you on like testosterone and I want to see where your levels are, I probably want to see where you're starting out at just so I know, you know, how much changed there is a, there is a place for hormone testing. There's your like complex and simplified, but what you want to do is you want to go into your doctor and you want to say, I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z. I think this is genital urinary syndrome of menopause. Could I try some vaginal estrogen for a couple of months and I'll report back if I'm better? Or you can say, I think this is menopause. I have night sweats, hot flashes, heart palpitations. Can I try an estrogen patch just for three months, plus or minus a progesterone if you have a uterus? I'll report back. But in my experience, if you tell your doctor what you have, what you wanna try, and that you're gonna be a reliable follow-up person, they are going to agree with you nine times out of 10. It's a very reasonable way to approach healthcare. Great. Thank you. I'll let you go. But I looked up the name. It was Dr. Marcia Seidelman that referred me to Dr. Rachel Rubin. Thank you so much, Dr. Awesome. Oh, we'll be in touch.
Absolutely. You can Thanks go so much you. for having me. I Absolutely. appreciate it. I'm just going to say goodbye to all of you guys. You can go if you need to. Thanks all of Take you care. for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back at 9 a.m. tomorrow when my guest is Christine Benson. She wrote this amazing book called Marrying Myself, and it has a vegan heroine. And she's going to talk a lot about self-love, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.